0: It is a locked-on crossover preview in the biggest game of the weekend in college football. The TCU Horned Frogs, who are currently sitting at number four in the college football playoff rankings, travel to Austin, Texas to play the Texas Longhorns in DKR under the lights on saturday night and of course this is jonathan davis from locked on longhorns to give you the texas point of view and we have stephen simcox from the locked on horn frogs telling us everything we need to know about tcu on this locked on crossover episode big matchup on saturday and we're going to get right into previewing what we should see on saturday between these two top 25 teams stephen i'm going to ask you first because TCU has far exceeded expectations in Sonny Dykes' first year. Like I said, they control their own destiny to a possible college football playoff appearance. What would a win against Texas mean for Sonny Dykes in this TCU program on Saturday night?
1: Yeah, Jonathan, I mean, it'd be huge. You know, you mentioned the expectations. Like, I had them going 7-5 and uh, before the season, and obviously they've kind of already surpassed that. I thought if some things broke right, maybe they could win – eight or nine games, but they were five and seven last year. And so I felt like it was going to be somewhat of a rebuilding season, Uh, but now they're in the mix for a big 12 title game. They'd really have to kind of fall on their face not to make it there, but the bigger goal is the college football playoff. And um, I know, you know, this, and I'm sure Longhorn fans will enjoy hearing this, but everybody likes beating Texas, man. I mean, everybody, everybody enjoys beating the Longhorns. I feel like for the other state schools, it's a big deal. It's a big deal for those guys that played high school football in the state of Texas, because um, I mean, you know, it's a flagship program. It's the, it's the big brand in the state. And so a night game, college game day, national stage, it'd be huge. And um, it's been sort of like, the schedule has been kind of weird. I mean, it felt like early in the year K state and Oklahoma state were sort of the games that you had to circle and win. Um, And they got past those hurdles, but now you got Texas on the road and Baylor on the road back to back. And I think both these teams, have sort of figured things out as the years gone on and has started to maximize those talented rosters. And so you get to 10 and 0 and I mean all of a sudden I think those expectations go up, but I'm excited they're number 4 in the country. I'm not really quite ready to buy into the idea that if they take a if they take an L, the committee will still be in love with them. So I I feel like you got to try to stay undefeated um and run the table and so that's kind of priority number one, but I was going to ask you, I mean, it's, it's been sort of a roller coaster year. Texas is in a good position right now, but what's happened for the Horns? I mean, following that Tech game, I know they stumble against Oklahoma State, but honestly, bes- besides like Quinn you were getting healthy and them sort of being at full strength, what's changed for this team as the year's gone on to help them um, get in a better rhythm and play better here down the stretch?
0: Well, you know, we talked a little bit off the record, and you mentioned that, you know, TCU has to go undefeated. Um, we know the committee's just waiting on them to, to fall on their face once so they can say, oh, we we had them at yeah. number four. We we put them <laughs> up there, All right? Uh, I think when you look at Texas, um, you know, I think Texas Tech and Oklahoma State were two bad losses. I don't think that anything necessarily has changed. I think in a few games you've leaned on B. John Robinson a little bit more, and that's led to some wins against Kansas State and Iowa State. But really I think those are just two games you shouldn't have lost. I think when we look at this Texas team, we should be looking at a Texas team that has one loss to Alabama, right? And it's right there with with TCU as a top 10 to 15 team in the nation. But they blew a double-digit lead to Texas Tech. They blew a double-digit lead to Oklahoma State. And they needed some luck to back into the position they're in now because if Oklahoma State doesn't lose to Kansas and Kansas State, you know, two weeks in a row and then they don't beat Kansas State, they wouldn't control their own Big 12 destiny right now. Mm -hmm. So um, I think they've kind of lucked into the position that they're in now. But now that they're in this position, they understand that they control their own destiny to the Big 12 championship. And I think this game means the world to the Texas Longhorns and Steve Sarkeesian. I actually think although TCU is number four in the nation and has college football playoff aspirations, I think more pressure is on Texas because when you look at Steve Sarkeesian, he goes five and seven in his first year. And then you see the performance against Alabama, you say, okay, this Texas team is ahead of schedule. And then they come out flat against UTSA. They're able to just out-talent UTSA and beat them in a 60-minute football game. Then you come right back and lose to Texas Tech. You win three in a row against probably the worst three teams in the conference, you know, Oklahoma, West Virginia, and Iowa State. And then you lose to Oklahoma State, blow another double-digit lead. And you come back and beat Kansas State. So, like you said, it's been a roller coaster. It's it's been a whole bunch of inconsistency and it's been a bunch of ups and downs and ups and downs right now. Steve Sarkeesian is 11 and 10 in his tenure as the head coach at the University of Texas. As he loses to TCU, he goes right back to being 500. I think this Texas team, it's time for them to get over the hump. It's time for them, if, if they're going to get back to – what we, you know, like you said, that flagship, that that blue blood, that University of Texas that a lot of people think they're on the verge of breaking through to, this is the weekend that you have to do it, right? If you control your own destiny 75% through the season to get to the Big 12 Championship, you have to close. It's a home game. It's it's a night game at DKR. I know you've seen the the the, the visitor list of recruits that are coming. It's, it's a yeah. bigger list than the Bama game. I mean, you got... <laughs> The the top players in the 2023 class and 2024 classes, there's so much momentum for Texas right now, just flipping Colton Vasick, Anthony Hill likely uh, to flip to Texas as well. I mean, they're, they're bringing in superstar players in these recruiting classes, but we've seen that for the better part of a decade. And yet the results on the field haven't matched that. Like I said, I think if you win this game, you say, OK, we beat a top five team in the country. We control our own destiny to the college football playoff. We're building momentum on the recruiting side. This Texas team looks completely different than they did last year. And moving forward, maybe next year we can talk about the college football playoff. The trajectory of this program is changing. But if you lose, Steve Sarkeesian is right back to 500. We're right back to asking the questions about this Texas program. What are they? When will they get over the hump? And why do they keep shooting themselves in the foot? So I think this game means a lot more. For texas than it does for tcu because tcu has already exceeded expectations you just said it you thought tcu would win seven maybe eight games and look into nine and they're nine and oh right now like Sonny dykes is you know saying he's, he's already coach of the year right this yeah. year period right steve sarkisian still has so much to prove because he's left so much meat on the bone texas has so much to prove because they've left so much meat on the bone and to me if they don't win on saturday we're right back at square one where it's who is steve mm-hmm. Sarkeesian as a head coach and why can't this Texas team get over to Hump?
1: Yeah, it's it's really fascinating. So so one aspect of this matchup that I think we both have thoughts on, but the Gary Patterson angle to me is is really intriguing. It's still so weird, man. Like I I, I tweeted a picture earlier this week, Jonathan, of him throwing up the hook'em horns with, with Oshawn Mathis, who I know didn't end up at UT, but um it's just kind of crazy to still see him in longhorn gear. Uh and I know you wanted to kind of bounce off me like what this means to him. But first I just wanted to ask you how much of an impact has he had? Because I know like he's an analyst, so he's not on the field. I I don't really know if he's with the players all the time, but I I do remember watching the Bama game and thinking, man, this is a lot of four down fronts, a lot of kind of exotic blitzes, some risk-taking that seems like it's Gary Patterson's identity. And so I think they've taken some of his ideas But from your perspective, is, you know, is this a GP defense or is he just sort of behind the scenes kind of tinkering with some things and giving them some – some scouting reports that are helping them out throughout the season?
0: Yeah, it's definitely tough. Um, you know, it's kind of hard to to quantify what Gary Patterson has brought to this defense, especially when you look at P. Kakowski's track record. So at Boise State in year two, they took a big jump. At Washington in year two, they took a big jump. And so Texas this year has followed suit, taking a big su- a big jump in P. Kakowski's second year. But of course, how can you attribute all of that to Pikakowski when you brought in a Gary Patterson, uh, a special assistant to the head coach? I think when you look at... Uh, his impact on this defense like I said I think it's you know P. deserves the majority of the credit right and you have a lot of experienced players that are now in the second year of this system understand the system a lot more and are playing a lot more sound and faster in the system they have a better understanding of where they're supposed to be their assignments and what they're supposed to do but we know that Gary Patterson is one of the best defensive minds in the country and you can't Although Texas fans may have, you can't overstate what he can bring to this defense. So I think it starts with the secondary, the secondary, especially the safeties. We've seen the best safety play at Texas that we've seen from a while in, in Jaren Thompson and Anthony Cook. And I, I think they're playing sound. They're, they're exactly where they're supposed to be. They're starting off playing flat footed. Right. And, and kind of reacting to the play and then making a play on the ball. Um, and then the communication. Uh, not just between the safeties, but from the back to the front, uh, to the corners, to the linebackers, that has been something that's been a welcome sight as well. That's something that you could say maybe Gary Patterson has brought in and emphasized that communication between the safeties and just the safety play overall. I might be getting this wrong as as far as which one is the boundary in the field corner, but I think you've seen a lot of Ryan Watts playing that press position, right? Uptight, playing that tight coverage at the line of scrimmage. And then Deshaun Jameson more of your playmaking corner kind of playing off on that side. I think that's some of the Gary Patterson effect. And then you just talked about watching the Alabama game, right? Like the exotic blitzes, um, you know, them looking more sound, looking a little bit cleaner on defense and things. That's that's what we got used to, not really the last few years, but that's what we got used to at TCU. And we're starting to see a little bit more of that uh, at Texas. So it's funny with Texas fans because, they love Gary Patterson and, and the jury is still out on Pikakowski. not sure why, but the jury is still out on Pikakowski. So when the defense is in DKR and they're giving up 15 points a game and when they're shutting out Oklahoma it's oh my God, Gary Patterson, I'm so glad he came to the University of Texas and then yeah. we're on when they're on the road giving up 40 to Oklahoma State in 37 to Texas Tech, it's like, oh, get Pekakowski out of here. It's like, it's like why Gary Patterson don't get blamed for that? You know, <laughs> so like I said, it's hard to overstate what Gary Patterson may have brought to this team, but I think Texas fans have done that. But I, I kind of want to, you know, and like I said, I want to say, that's not to say that he hasn't brought a lot to this team. I think he has brought sure. a lot to the defensive side, but I think we've given too much credit to Gary Patterson and kind of shunned away Pekakowski who is the one calling the plays. He is the defensive coordinator. And it's funny because... I'm really kind of nervous, and and I'm going to ask you about what you think this game means for Gary Patterson because I'm a little nervous. I don't know where his head's at. I don't know where his heart's at, and I don't know if you saw the clip. Texas is beating their biggest rival, 49-0. to They're rushing to the the crowd. They're about to go sing Eyes of Texas. They're filling themselves in the Cotton Bowl, but Gary Patterson is asking the cops, hey, man, do you have the score of the TCU-Kansas game? So I, I don't yeah. know, man. He seems a little torn. He, he he's tugging on those heartstrings. I don't know. You you he coached TCU for a while. Obviously, he his heart is still somewhat with TCU. He still loves those players. Those are his players. So, what do you think this game means for Gary Patterson?
1: Yeah, I love this. Uh, let's start this conspiracy theory, huh? That, that GP is just trying to throw in the towel for Texas uh, against TCU. I, I kind of like that angle. Um, it it is funny though. I, I think. I mean, the joke has been made. There's a statue of him outside the stadium in Fort Worth. Like, he is – when people talk about TCU football, now it might change in the next few years if they keep winning like this. But the first person people think of is probably Gary Patterson, maybe LaDainian Tomlinson. But I feel like for the the majority of people, GP is the first name that comes to mind. He's the all-time winningest coach. He was there for 20-plus years, got them to the Big 12. And so, yeah, I I do think you're right. I I think he loves these players. He recruited them. He cares about them. Here's what else I know about Gary. I know that he is a competitor, right? Like I see this. I see this wonderful picture that you got behind you, of Michael Jordan. It's a great shot. He pushes Byron Russell. He goes up, hits the jumper against the Jazz, goes out a winner. We don't need to talk about his Wizards career. That didn't happen. He he went out on top. And one thing about MJ, right? Like, you know this, Jonathan. He remembered every slight. He would make things up. Like, he, he didn't play like he was the best ever. I mean, he did, but he had this mentality of, like, I'm going to take everybody down. I'm going to prove everybody wrong. And one reason why Gary was super successful in his time at CCU was that he brought that identity to the team. Like, he kind of always had a chip on his shoulder it's us against the world. People don't respect us. You know, we're, we're taking the two star and three star kids that got passed up by other programs and we're going to, you know, grow them up and make them better than everybody else. Um, And so that was sort of who he is. And he, I, I think, I mean, I'll just tell you truthfully, he got let go. I mean, they asked him to leave after the K state game last year, they lost, they met with him. They said, Hey, this is over. They asked him to coach the rest of the season. He said, no, thanks. And he said that was because he didn't want to be a distraction. But I think in all honesty, I feel like his feelings were probably hurt. And that's understandable. I mean, he did a lot for that program. And so now they're nine and no. and I think he does care about those kids, but I think he also probably wants to prove to the new coaching staff, to the administration that, you know what, he's still got something left in the tank and it, it's funny because you said we can't quantify it, and I agree with you. And he sort of is in this perfect position where, yeah, if they if they win like twenty seven to seven on Saturday, everybody's gonna be like, oh my gosh, Gary just he had the book on on TCU, and he knew what was going on, and he just showed them. I mean, he just shoved it right in their face. Um, and so he's, and if they lose, I don't think a lot of the blame will go to him. But Piekarski, um, get him out of here. Yeah, Piekarski, get out of here, brother. <laughs> but I, I mean, I think ultimately he he wants to prove that they made the wrong decision, and you know, I think everything else says that they didn't. But he could he could have something to say if this defense plays really well against TCU. So I, I don't know how much of an impact it's going to have once the actual game starts. But I, I don't think he's really torn here. I feel like he honestly <laughs> kind of wants to to show everybody that he's still got it. And, um, you know, Sonny Dykes, honestly, like one of the reasons he has this job is because SMU went to Fort Worth in 2019 and 2021 and they beat TCU and they scored over 40 points on Gary's defenses. So it's a different situation. He was a head coach then. Now he's an analyst. But obviously like he had a pretty good idea of what made those defenses tick, And I, I'm not super concerned that, you know, they're just going to completely shut down CCU. But I mean, I know Gary well enough to know he's a great defensive mind. He's got to have some insight here that probably no one else does. And it's, it's going to play a factor on Saturday.
0: Yeah. We're going to talk about uh, his replacement next in uh, Sonny Dykes, but Definitely thank uh, Steven there for warming my burnt orange heart and assuring me uh, that Gary Patterson is going to be rooting for the Texas Longhorns and doing everything in his power to make sure the Texas Longhorns win on Saturday. Inflation has us all thinking about different ways to cut back, whether it's driving less, dining out less or buying less from the grocery store. We can all agree there's nothing fun about less. Hell, inflation has so many people watching this TCU Texas game at home instead of in (laughs) DKR on Saturday. That's why I started using Upside. Upside is an incredible app for anyone who buys gas, groceries or dines out. With Upside, I don't have to cut back because I get cash back on every purchase to get started. Download the free Upside app, use my promo code LOCKED and get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. Next, claim an offer for whatever you're buying on Upside. Check in at the business pay as usual with a credit or debit card and get paid. Download the free Upside app and use promo code LOCKED to get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. That's $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more using promo code LOCKED. And betonline.net is your number one source for sports betting, info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there from football to basketball, to soccer and esports. We've got it all at betonline.net. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online, where the game starts. So nine games through the season, Steven, TCU has their highest win total since 2017. You mentioned that, you know, they, they told Gary Patterson it, it's time to hit the road and he feels like they didn't make the right decision, but, Success-wise, through nine games, it does look like they made the right decision with Sonny Dykes. What has changed for this TCU program under Sonny Dykes?
1: Well, I mean, I think he, he's he been a breath of fresh air because Coach's personalities really come down to whether they win or lose, right? I think, like, if, if Coach wins, we highlight all the positive things about their personality. If they lose, then we sort of harp on some of the things that might do wrong, but Um, It has been a big difference. I feel like the freedom that the players have, I think Sonny's more of a player's coach. He's more laid back. Um, He's not going to just chew guys out on the sidelines every missed third down or missed assignment. Um, And so that's allowed guys to relax some and maybe play with less pressure. The offense has been revamped. And, you know, they had some weapons, like Quentin Johnston on the outside had been somebody had shown some flashes. Darius Davis has outstanding speed. Um, Kendra Miller had been a good running back for them when, you know, Zach Evans had had been out for injuries or or other situations. But I feel like they've they've really unlocked something here with Max Duggan, who didn't win the job out of fall camp, but um, they've helped him stay in the pocket, make better decisions. I think they've simplified this offense and made it more quarterback friendly um, with some of the things they're doing by using motion and misdirection and trying to create better situations for him to throw in. And then the big surprise to me has been defensively. I I don't think they've been a great defense, but um, they've sort of had this recipe so far this year of kind of holding on in the first half and figuring some things out and then adjusting at halftime and and really coming out and making plays in the second half of games Um, Have forced some turnovers and have gotten big stops. And so, you know, I feel like it's been sort of a perfect storm. They've improved. I think the big 12, um, I don't know if it's just a parody of the league this year, but I don't believe there's like one team that's just head and shoulders better than everybody else. Maybe somebody emerges here in the last three games of the season, um, but it's culminated in them being at this point where they're nine and zero, and, you know, they're rolling. Everybody's feeling good about um, where they're headed. And so I think one interesting angle about this game, Sue Jonathan is is the quarterbacks and, um, two pretty different guys and, and I guess the, the hype around them coming into the season, Quinn, obviously everybody knew Quinn Ewers name. Um, so as we sit here, you've, you've, st- you've seen him in consecutive weeks now, like you've got a little bit of a sample size. What are your impressions of Quinn Ewers? And I mean, you, s- I know we, we see the arm talent, right. And, and we see the ability is, is just consistency kind of the next step for him moving forward throughout the rest of the season and beyond.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think it kind of happened in reverse with Quinn Ewers. Usually you see quarterbacks have the groin pains, and then you see them, you know, get better with experience, and then you say, okay, like now he's ready um, at that level. I think it kind of happened in reverse with Quinn Ewers, right? You kind of throw out ULM. You can't really take anything from that game just because of the talent disparity. And you see him come out in the first quarter, you know, albeit less than a, a quarter really against Alabama, but he looked like the best player on the field for 25% of the football game. Right. And, and that's all we have to go off of. And then he comes back against Oklahoma after three weeks off and is the biggest reason that they shut out Oklahoma 49 to zero. And so you're like, okay, well he stepped right into college, you know, and he's ready to ball, right? Like he lived up to the hype. He's, you know, the, the, the next Trevor Lawrence, right? Like he's, he's that good. And then I think since then there's been some underwhelming performances. Now they've, won all of those games, but won against Oklahoma State. But I think what he did against Alabama and Oklahoma, you expected to see that every week. And I think recently they've been winning with more defense in the run game, and they've kind of had to let Quinn Ewers compliment B. John Robinson and Roshan Johnson instead of letting B. John Robinson and Roshan Johnson compliment Quinn Ewers while he's being the star of the show. So I think what I've learned about Quinn Ewers and what I've seen from Quinn Ewers is that, yes, he's very talented, he can make all the throws. He can attack defenses in any area of the field. But he's still really young. He hasn't played a lot of football since 2020. He should be a true freshman. He's a redshirt freshman with relatively little to no experience. And I think we're seeing that show up now, you know, as, as teams adjust to him and, and what he likes to do. And, you know, we know that he's super talented with his right arm. But when you have quarterbacks like that, like, a and I'm not saying he's Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers. But when you have quarterbacks with that elite arm talent sometimes they can lack in the mechanics and the footwork departments. And I think we've seen that as well from Quinn Ewers over the last three weeks where his mechanics and his footwork hasn't been tight, and that's led to a lot of overthrows, misthrows, and some interceptions, right? Things that we thought we would see from Quinn Ewers early in the season, and we've seen them kind of, you know, in the middle to later parts of the season. So one thing I thought that they did really well before the Kansas State game Texas had splits of 52% pass, 48% run this season. So they were passing the ball 52% of the time, running the ball 48% of the time. You have the best running back in the country, in my opinion, and the best backup running back or one of the best backup running backs in the country in Roshan Johnson, in my opinion. You have to let them carry you, let these elite running backs carry you, and then let a quarterback like when you was a young quarterback who needs a running game pick his spots off of that in the RPOs and the play action. And while the defense is allocating resources to stopping Bijan and Roshan, then you take advantage of those one-on-one matchups on the outside. What I loved about the Kansas State game was that 52 pass 48 run split that was you know, through eight games of the season, that turned a 55% run, 45% pass against Kansas State. I think that's a huge reason they won, and I think that needs to be the formula for the rest of the season. So I think Quinn Ewer's is super talented and I think next year this will be his team. But right now this is Bijan John Robinson and Roshan Johnson's team and they control their own destiny to the big 12 championship game. If they're gonna be in the big 12 championship game on December 3rd, I wanna see at least or around a 55% run split and a 45% pass split for the rest of the season. You let Bijan John and Roshan carry you and you let Quinn Ewers compliment them. But you talked about Max Duggan and statistically he's having his best season in Sonny Dyke's first year. So that's no coincidence what have you seen from him from a growth standpoint? And do you attribute that more to him just coming back, you know, with a different motivation and being a better player this year? Or do you attribute that to
1: Sonny Dykes and his coaching? I think it starts with the O-line. I mean, they've just been better up front. You know, I, I feel like one of the big criticisms for Max, the first three years of his career was that he was just always billing out of the pocket and running. And that was legitimate. But part of it too, was he was running for his life in a lot of those cases. So, the fact that he's had better production has allowed him to step up in the pocket more and uh, make better reads. He's working through his progressions um, better, even though I think the last few weeks he's kind of gotten locked in on some reads downfield and hasn't been taking what the defense gives him as much. But, um, yeah, I mean, they've leaned on their running game a lot too with with Kendra Miller and Amari Di Mercado. You know, they they've finally found some more creative ways to use some of these receivers. I feel like the first two years they had Quentin Johnson, Jonathan, it was just always, well, let's just run another fade down the sidelines and see if he can jump up and get another 50-50 ball. And he's good at that, but we've seen a lot more different route combos that have allowed him to kind of showcase some of their skill sets that he has. Um, they're using some motion and some misdirection to try to get some defenses to show them what they're doing. But, yeah, I mean, he's a really experienced guy, and I feel like just the improvement with play calling coupled with um, – maximizing the talent around him has has really helped Max take some strides this year. One other interesting angle of this game is, you know, you talked about the run splits for Texas, and you would think that would sort of lead them to being maybe a better team in the second half. But I know they've had some struggles, closing games, TCU, I I don't know. I wish I had an answer for you. Like, they just start slow a lot of the time. And they were in a big hole in the Oklahoma State game and the K-State game. I think they really have to start fast this week on the road, but what are you seeing? There's Sark is so good on script. I mean, those first 15 to 25 plays have been money, but what sort of kind of unravels for them as, as games have gone on this year?
0: I think it's a little bit of everything. And you talked about this year, but this was a problem last year before Quinn Ewers came. I mean, you had a fourth quarter lead against Oklahoma Baylor and Oklahoma State last year. You lose all three of those games. So this isn't a 2022 issue. This isn't a Quinn Ewers issue. This is a since Sark has been at Texas issue, right? And I wish I had one thing to attribute it to, but there's so many things. I mean, when you looked at uh, this game last week against Kansas State, you had a fumble in the second half and four false starts on three drives, right? Your last drive was just a kneel down. So on, on three drives, you have four penalties and a fumble, right? That, those are going to be things that prevent you from scoring in the second half. I think um, there's just a lot of things, penalties, lack of execution, um, you know, the passing game not nearly being as efficient in the second half as it is in the first half. When you look at the second half passing numbers compared to the first half passing numbers for Texas, they're drastic. I mean, like the passer rating goes down 30 points. The completion percentage goes down 7 percent points. Like it's crazy, Steven. Like it's it's. I, I said on the show when I read all the stats, I was like, if you're squeamish, turn the show off. Like it's it's bad, right? <laughs> and then the the running game is is getting more efficient in the second half. But you know, if if teams are stacking the box and and putting eight and nine in there, you know, like my boy Texas Homer says, I don't care if you're B John Robinson, Deuce Vaughn, whoever. Like if, if there's nowhere to go, there's just nowhere to go. I think the biggest issue and this this is really my first time kind of you know putting this on wax saying this but i think the biggest issue is that texas has the ability to score fast like we know that right like texas can score from 40 50 yards out on on one play they can do that consistently and i think with those scripted plays in the first half they do that a lot but in the second half when you have to out execute teams when you have to adjust to teams adjustments you know, in, in the second half and, and things like that, and teams have adjusted to your big plays. And now they're forcing you to be methodical and go down the field instead of scoring from 40, 50 yards out, Texas has just struggled to do that. And when you look at it, Texas has been really bad at time of possession. So it, you know, that doesn't matter when you're scoring from 40, 50 yards out and, and you're getting touchdowns when you get points, time of possession really doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But when you can't sustain drives in the second half and, all of your drives are lasting a minute and a half or less. And the other team is possessing the ball four or five minutes. They get a score. Then another four or five minutes, they get a score and another four or five minutes. They get a score. That's how you end up scoring three points in the second half and how they end up scoring 14 to 17 points in the second half. And that's how you end up with a halftime lead in a close game at the end. And I think what seven out of the 10 losses losing, (laughs) you know, that halftime lead. So I think the biggest thing is just Texas's inability to sustain drives outside of their drives where they have shot plays. If you have a shot play to Xavier Worthy or Bijan, that's fine. But on those drives where a defense is going to force you to go six, seven, eight plays, can you do that and get points at the end through two years? The answer has been no more times than yes. But we're talking about the second half issues for Texas. TCU has first half issues. So I normally I would be like, okay, maybe if Texas had to lead at halftime, they can hang on. But it's like, now I feel like Texas has to have, like, at least a 21, 28-point lead at halftime for me to feel comfortable because Texas is not going to get away with scoring three points in the second half against TCU because y'all have been dominant in the second half. What's been the reason for that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the, the first half woes, I can't give a great explanation for it. I feel like you talked about how good Texas is on script. Excuse me. I, sometimes Garrett Riley comes out with some plays in the first few drives that I'm just kind of like, I mean, are we just seeing if this works? Like, are we just trying to catch the defense napping? It's a lot of wide receiver screens. There's, you know, sometimes some some trick plays that just seem kind of misplaced. Um, they're also a team that has relied on explosive plays from time to time. And there have been games where the offense has gone, you know, three or four drives and just haven't done much. Have kind of wasted possessions. I think defensively, honestly, you know, this group was like in the 130s rankings wise defense last year and they've improved some with some of the transfers they brought in and the new scheme. But I mean, to be honest, Johnson, I just feel like it takes them a little bit to sort of feel things out. Like they have to see what the, what the other offense is doing, maybe give up some yards, give up some drives, and they sort of adjust accordingly and Joe Gillespie, their defensive coordinator has been really good at it. As far as the second half goes, so they brought in Kaz Kazati, you know, in the offseason uh, to run the strength and conditioning program. And, I mean, I, I don't, like, I don't go to their workouts. I don't know what it is about what he does. I know he's really well-respected in the SNC community. But um, they've just been better. I mean, they've leaned on people. They've kind of had – it just seems like a little more gas in other teams in the fourth quarter of football games. And I know one thing that Coach Dyke said in the offseason was – that was an area where they were sort of behind. Like that was kind of an immediate, like they walked in and saw what they were doing from a nutrition perspective, from a weightlifting perspective and said, ah, this is not really, you know, up with the, with the modern times. They really revamped that. I I feel like that's helped. And then finally, I I mean, I know some fans might interject this too. You know, they faced some backup quarterbacks in the second half of games this year. Uh, And I feel like the K state game, Will Howard came in. He was, throwing darts all over the place. And it took them a little while to sort of, you know, settle in. But once they did, they were able to lock things down. Um, I, I still don't really know how healthy Spencer Sanders was in that Oklahoma State game, but it seemed like as the game went on and they were able to get some hits on him, it, it kind of changed the dynamic. And and so that's played into it too. But, um, yeah, overall they've been a second-half team and it's caused a lot of stress for, for me and I know the other fans, but they've they found a way to keep winning these football games.
0: Definitely. I saw a, a mock draft earlier today, uh, where Quentin Johnston was projected to go eighth overall, I think, right? And it's projected to be uh the first wide receiver taken. And so if TCU is gonna win this game, although TCU is you know number four in the country and undefeated, they're somehow seven-point underdogs to the Longhorns. Vegas loves that burnt orange and white, huh? So is it going to have to be Quentin Johnston being the best player on the field for TCU, or is it going to have to be somebody else?
1: So, yeah, an intriguing subplot, too, is he's dealing with an ankle issue. And so he went out yeah. there against Tech, played a series, and they didn't return. Now, they said it was just a precautionary thing, but that is something to watch. Um, you know, he has to he has to have an impact. I think they need to give him the football. The, the thing about Quentin is when he's on the field, You know, I don't know. I know Watts is really good corner. Maybe they'll just kind of let him try to man up and see what he can do. But it's just defenses are just attracted to him. I mean, that that gravitational pull he has because he is so big and physical and can make plays. I feel like the biggest thing his presence does is just kind of open up the field for everybody else. Um, So I don't think it necessarily has to be him because he has had games this year where he's sort of been quiet and they've still found ways to get other people involved and win. But he needs to be a huge part of the of the game plan, and um, yeah, I mean he's he's a special player. And when he's been locked in, I mean, he had a great game against Kansas, Kansas Oklahoma State. That's when the offense has been humming and has been at their best. So I think he has to be, you know, um, involved and be a huge factor in this football game for TCU to pull off the win because he's I mean he's an NFL player, like he's one of the guys on this roster that is going to be playing on Sundays and um he just really affects what defenses do because they're so worried about trying to contain him during the game
0: yeah and so i'm
1: gonna get you out of
0: here on this then who wins this game and why
1: hey great question um you know it, it is strange right like i understand how talented texas is a touchdown favorite does seem a little rich um i think there's some matchup problems here one 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 thing I'm curious about, so D. Winters, TCU's middle linebacker, he'll be out for the first half of this game because um, of a targeting call against Texas Tech. And Does so he lead the team Banks in sacks? Take...
0: I think I was looking earlier. Does Winters lead the team in sacks? Or somebody uh,
1: else? I know he leads the team. Yeah, he leads the team in sacks, I believe. Okay. Um, he's up there in tackles as well. And so Shad Banks is going to take his place. And Shad's kind of an interesting player. He was a receiver at North Shore in high school, but he's been on mm. defense for TCU um, at the linebacker spot. And he's big, and, I mean, I think he could help against Bijan. Obviously, like, he's a different dude, and he's he's tough to bring down. Uh, but they're going to have him out there. I wonder if Texas kind of tries to target him in the passing game. Um, so that's something to watch. I think ultimately TC wins, Jonathan. I'm just kind of done doubting this team. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like they get it done. It's going to be tough on the road. I feel like they get behind early, but they sort of survive that first punch and get back in there and win the football game. But but what are your thoughts who do you think comes out on top in this one?
0: Yeah, I, I think like I said, it needs to be a heavy dose of of B. John Robinson and, and Roshan Johnson and letting Quinn Ewers complement them. But you definitely have the weapons to do that and he definitely has the talent to do that. When I look at this game, you know, it's funny, somebody tweeted earlier, like if this was an eleven a.m. eleven AM game against an unranked TCU, I'd be nervous, right? But <laughs> Thankfully, these are the games that Texas gets up for right in, in DKR against a, a a top five team undefeated TCU. Thankfully, TCU can't sneak up on them. And I, I talked about earlier just what this game would me, mean for Steve Sarkeesian, who does not have a signature win in, in 21 games at the University of Texas as a head coach. This would be a signature win. I talked about what this means from a recruiting standpoint, you know, when you're bringing in. A-listers in the 2023 and 2024 class, a lot of them that are trending towards Texas at this point. And then you talk about the players. You have so many players like Bijan and, and Roshan on the defensive side, Keandre Coburn, uh and Overshawn, who this is their last chance. You know, this is their last chance to put an imprint on their Texas legacy, and they have a chance to get out of here with the Big 12 championship. And like I said, this team controls their own destiny. I think if they lost to Kansas State, I'd probably pick TCU by 20 because this game wouldn't mean anything for Texas. But now this game means everything for Texas, and I think they understand the moment. I hope they understand the moment because I do, you know, and so <laughs> I think it's going to be a shootout. You know, I think Texas's run defense is, is top 30 pretty much by all metrics in the country. And I think they're going to force this this TCU offense to throw the ball a lot. The problem is they've been really good at that, you know, in our corners. The more they've had to defend the pass, the less they've been proficient at it. Right. And I think, you know, the TCU defense, if I'm looking at it, they're 86th in yards allowed and 74th in scoring. So I think our offense is going to have some opportunities to put some points up on the board as well. I think Texas wins TCU covers. I have Texas winning by four on Saturday, continuing to control their own destiny to the Big 12 Championship on December 3rd.
1: All right. Well, man, I mean, that would that would change the race for this conference title in a lot of ways. So um should be fun on Saturday, college game day, big-time matchup. I'm excited for it, Jonathan. Thanks for having me on the show, man.
0: Definitely excited, and who knows, man, this might not be the only time Texas and TCU play this season. Hook em. That's true. <laughs> Peace.